As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. everybody and welcome back to another episode of wings for breakfast our twice weekly red wings podcast here on the athletic i'm max boltman with me as always is prashant Iyer. prashant how you doing today uh it's another day the red wings still haven't scored a goal so uh it sounds like a normal day for me yeah that, that's a pretty normal day so the red wings uh, end up getting swept by chicago uh, after the comeback in in the first game of that series they take the overtime and lose uh th- this time they come back and uh Really, you know, it was a tight game, but I thought Chicago played a lot better in this one than they did uh, in game one of this series. Uh, Kurashev with a absolutely beautiful goal to uh, beat a couple of defenders and Jonathan Bernier and then Alex Dabrinkit with an empty netter. So they take it at 2-0. Really, it's a one goal game the whole way. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's fair to say this time Chicago uh, may put together the better performance. Yeah, I think the Blackhawks were definitely better. Um maybe it won't necessarily bear out statistically. Like I think if you look at, you know, the final stats for the games, the wings led in, you know, Corsi four percentage expected goals for a percentage, kind of the numbers we tend to look at, but uh, where I thought Chicago was particularly good was they generated some really high quality chances. They weren't necessarily consistently dominant, but when they were in Detroit's end, I felt like Bernier was standing on his head, particularly at the start of the game. I mean, he had to, bail out the Red Wings with a handful of saves. I think Patrick Kane was all over him all night. So um, really the only reason that that game is as close as it is on the scoreboard, I think is due to a great performance from Jonathan Bernier. Yeah, Bernier was excellent. Uh, Kane was excellent. And and the fact that Kane did not score in this series stuns me because I thought he was really, really good the whole way. Um, but you know, Kevin Lankin kind of is another part of this story where the, he's now the third time this season that the, he's a rookie goaltender and he has beaten them three times. And Malcolm, Malcolm Subban, uh, beat him in the first game of this series, but Lankin was the goaltender both times in the last one. And, uh, 
man, as someone who got on this podcast and on Twitter and in my articles and literally on every soapbox that I could find in the preseason to talk about how Chicago's goaltending was atrocious and was going to make them the worst team in the Central Division, uh, the bowl of crow that I now have to eat is basically could fill Little Caesars Arena. I mean, my favorite part about all of this is if you look at Chicago's three goaltenders that they've been going with, Lankinen, uh, Colin Delia, and uh, and Malcolm Subban, well, Lankinen was undrafted, Delia was undrafted, and uh, Malcolm Subban, while he was a first-round pick, is now on his third team in his career already. Uh, goalies, goalies don't draft him, folks. Yeah, this is a very case-in-point series on that uh, on that for you, isn't it? It it really is, and I just have to make sure I call that out because uh, they are the classic example of you can pick up goaltending anywhere. You're not you can't necessarily expect league best goaltending if you're going to pick it up, but you can get competitive goaltending, you know, from a lot of different places right now. Because I think the fact of the matter is we're not at the point where scouts can conclusively identify the best goaltenders at the time of the draft. I mean. Lankinen's a guy in 2013 who doesn't even get drafted. First goalie drafted in 2013 is Zachary Fukai, who's was a really good goalie in juniors. He was a he backstop Canada's World Junior team, had a really successful time, and now you know he's not in the conversation with Kevin Lankinen with as well as Lankinen has played as a rookie right now. And we've seen this happen, you know, time after time. So uh, I think this just continues to to illustrate. Um, the challenges with evaluating goaltenders at the time of the draft. Yeah. The Red Wings, uh, you know, Jonathan Bernier was good last night, but the Red Wings goaltending too. I mean, that's a point maybe we haven't talked enough about. It has not really been all that good this year. Yeah. I think aside from Jonathan Bernier, you know, and not necessarily, you don't really want to point the finger at Thomas Grace uh, in that sense and, and Calvin Pickard, but they haven't necessarily been on Bernier's level. And really, Bernier hasn't been on the same level he was on last season. Uh, and the challenge for the Wings is that even though, you know, the goaltending has been okay, it's been passable, it's been, you know, good enough to win hockey games, right now what the Red Wings effectively need is perfection from their goaltenders if they're going to play this low-event style of hockey that doesn't allow them to take a lot of chances you know, even giving up one goal against that is a bad goal may prove more than enough uh, to to do the Red Wings in. And so when you look at it on the season, Thomas Grice has allowed eight goals more than expected based on the quality of shots that he's faced. And that's third worst in the league right now. Bernier is, you know, down at two goals more than expected. But even then, that's still a a far cry from where he was last season. So, and it's influenced by the number of games he's played. Like if you project out right. his rate, it's probably more like six right. in the same amount of games that Grice had played. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, Grice has played twice as many games as, as Bernier has thus far on the season. And so, you know, all in all, I mean, you're talking about Red Wings goalies that have given up 11 more goals than they should have based on the quality of chances that they faced. And when you're doing that with a team that's, you know, scoring fewer goals at five on five than it is on the power play or scoring fewer goals on the power play than it is at five on five. I think you're talking about a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I sent you this stat earlier today, but the Red Wings are now we've talked a lot about their five on five expected uh, goals against all year. But now even all situations, the penalty kill is rebounded to this level where in all situations, the Red Wings are a top four team in the NHL 
by all situations expected goals against uh, this year. That makes them one of the best defensive teams in the league. And the company that they keep, and just in case you want to know how predictive of a stat that is of team success, are Boston, Vegas, Tampa, and the Islanders. All of those teams have been to at least a conference final in the last three years. Two of them have been to or uh, sorry, three of them have been to the Stanley Cup final in the last three years. Um, that's the exact company you want to keep on the defensive side of the puck. Uh, and so they're getting let down a little bit, I think, by the goaltending. But I think the far bigger problem is they're not, you know, you still look at the totals and, and these are winnable totals. Like they're giving up two or three goals per game. You should still be able to go at least 500 in those games. If you have even a mediocre offense and the offense is not even mediocre right now, I mean, they get shut out last night um, and, and, you know, Philip Zadina has the probably the closest. I mean, they, they had a few really close ones. Bobby Ryan uh, rang one off the post trying to bat in the goal in the crease that, that um, Christian juice with another outstanding patient play to delay, draw Lankin and out of his net and have him kind of flailing around. He, he, tries to tap it in. It, it, it ends up just sitting on the doorstep and Bobby Ryan tries to whack it in. It goes off the post. Um, so that's one big chance. Zadina had another one on the power play. This was the best the Red Wings power plays looked in a while. Uh, he rang off the crossbar and, and he looked great running it down there from the right flank. So they are getting their chances. Um, but I also am, am hesitant to say that the offense has been good enough and just unlucky. Yeah, I, I actually think the offense, uh, it, it's a problem with production as a as opposed to necessarily them being unlucky because that's really what the expected goal stats tell yeah. us uh, is based on the quality of chances generating, how many goals should you score? Uh, and, and over the years, looking at the evolving hockey model, it tends to line up pretty closely with the actual number of goals scored over the season. So it is a pretty good stat at describing what is actually happening on the ice. It's a really good stat at describing what you're seeing. And so when you look at the Red Wings, five on five expected goals for per 60, it's 1.83. What's their five on five goals for per 60? It's 1.82. It's not a failure to convert chances. It's simply you're not generating enough. Because uh, if you look at where the Wings have been in franchise history, that five on five expected goals for per 60 that we've talked about so much, where they're fourth in the league now, at 1.89, that's the second best this team has ever been in the you know in the modern stats era, which goes back to 0708. The only team that was better defensively at suppressing quality of chances was the 0708 team that won the Stanley Cup. So you're talking about this team defensively doing a better job of limiting quality chances than the 0809 team that went to the finals, among a lot of other really good and really competitive teams. And you're a far cry. You're almost one full goal better uh, per 60 compared to last season's team. So, you know, they've made just massive strides forward. But you have to wonder, is this all-out commitment to the defensive side of the puck clogging up the neutral zone? Is that what's impacting their ability to generate offensive chances to the point where they can't even win these games where they're doing such a good job defensively? I think that's fair. I will also say, don't you think they've been more aggressive in this Chicago series? I mean, it seems like they have been a lot more, uh, you know, they, they certainly had a lot more chances at the net. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that the four check structure hasn't like changed dramatically, although I haven't been paying that close of attention to it uh, in this series. But it does seem like they're more, they, they've been more aggressive. I, I think in the second game, for sure, they were opening things up a little bit more. I think you were seeing the third forward come down a little bit more. 
I think you were seeing more scenarios where the defensemen were stepping up along the half boards and the forwards were having to circle back behind to cover. Uh, I definitely think you saw more of that, but I don't necessarily know that that's really translating into a measurable and meaningful difference from what they've done before. I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at that Chicago game at five on five, they generated one and a half expected goals for at five on five. That's just not going to be enough unless you're getting the breaks on the, on your power play, unless you're really getting, uh, you know, or you've got elite shooting talent that's able to convert that for you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We talked about um, a couple of premium chances in this last game off that but one hit the crossbar, one hit the post. Do those? How do those get factored into all of this? Yeah, the one for Zadina off the post, I mean, there are still aspects to expected goals for models that aren't necessarily factored in. We don't have pass, you know, kind of where the pass is coming from. We don't necessarily have the positions of players on screens may make shots more difficult. We don't have goaltender positions. Um, so, you know, those certainly limit the ability to maybe as as best as you can assess the uh, true quality of the shot. But like I mentioned earlier... But if it hits the post, you know, is it getting counted? Yeah, so if it hits the post, it's counted as a missed shot. And so an expected goals four can be counted for anything that is unblocked because okay. uh, a blocked shot cannot be factored in for expected goals four because... When the NHL codes the location of the blocked shot, they actually code the location of the player who blocked it <laughs> as opposed to where the shot was taken from. And so that's why you can't actually accurately estimate um, the expected goals for of a block shot. But anything that is missed or on goal uh, gets factored into that. So the Zadina hitting the post, Bobby Ryan hitting the post, those are all going to get incorporated okay. in there. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was thinking, like you know, like that Bobby Ryan one. If, if you figure he's standing in the crease, uh, that should be a very high danger area of the ice. You would expect like at least like a point three expected goals or something on that play. But but that is getting countered. They're not getting shorted on that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and when you look at um, their model, you know, the number one factor that drives up uh, the quality of a chance is shot distance. Yep. So Bobby Ryan literally standing in the. Uh, you know, in the crease is certainly going to be a big factor uh, there. Okay. Well then, yeah, I mean, I, I do think some of it comes down to shooting talent. I also think some of it comes down to shooting volume. I mean, you look at someone like uh, Anthony Mantha and you're, you're saying, okay, like this is a, one of the best shooters in the league, I would argue um, at, at least, you know, in, in certain situations, maybe not uh, pulling up from the point, but uh, he can certainly beat goals with one timer. And he is an outstanding shooter on the rush uh, with, especially with the wrist shot you saw the other day against Nashville 
And I, so I look at Anthony Mantha and I say, okay, his goals rate is down, but it's not down absurdly. Uh, it's down about the equivalent of about six goals over an 82 game season, which is survivable. That's kind of expected year over year variance um, for, for a player. Now, his points are way down, and that's largely because of his assists. I think he's on pace for what would be his lowest assists uh, mark in any full season of his NHL career. And so my first thought was, okay, does he need to pass the puck more? But then you go and look at his shots, and what's actually happening is he's attempting uh, about half a shot per game fewer than in previous seasons and getting about the same amount less on goal than in previous seasons. Um, and certainly rebounds can lead to a lot of good things if you're the offensive team. And so I almost wonder, does Anthony Mantha's production get solved by simply getting one more shot? Easier said than done, but getting one more shot off per game. Yeah, I think that's a you know great point to bring up. And I think the bringing up the point of, of Mantha and Larkin's production, I think, is really key here. One thing that I like to look at, so when we're talking about expected goals, you can also look at an individual player's expected goals for per 60 and see how much they're really generating. Um, and so last season, you know, with, with the Red Wings, you looked at Mantha, you looked at Larkin, and they were outstanding at generating quality shots. I mean, they were among the team leaders. You know, Mantha was first on the team in expected goals, individual expected goals for per 60 at even strength. And Dylan Larkin was sixth. Uh, and the only guys really ahead of him was Sam Gagne, who was only there for six games, Athanasiu, who's traded, and Giovanni Smith was only there for 20 games. So those are the guys ahead of uh, Dylan Larkin there. So effectively, Mantha and Larkin are kind of two of the top uh, three for the Red Wings last year, the other being Tyler Bertuzzi um, and guys who played a meaningful sample. This season, that's really down. Um, instead of those guys being towards the top like they normally are, Mantha is seventh and Larkin is ninth. That's not going to cut it for this team when it comes to generating quality chances. So I think, Max, you know, to your point, would an extra shot per goal or shot on goal really help there? I think yes, but really they have to get high quality chances because Mantha last season was generating 0.89 individual expected goals per 60. He's at 0.55 this year, almost half the rate that he was doing it last year. And Larkin's about 0.2 behind his rate from the season before. So both those guys are just not generating the same chances that they would which may explain why their point, uh, their point totals are both a little bit off from last season's pace. You've got Larkin at fewer individual expected goals per 60 for this year. Right. I've got him at slightly more from Evolving Hockey. Although maybe you're you're using per 60, I'm using per game. Maybe that's Yeah, I'm why. using per 60. So per game, yeah. he's actually up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, per 60, he's at 0.66 from last season, 0.53 this year, whereas Mantha was 0.89 last season and point, uh, five, five this year. So I think a per 60 is helpful here because Larkin is playing a lot more ice time, uh, than he was last season. So that's helpful to kind of factor in here. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, both those guys are not where they were last season. And I think the wings need that to, to fix itself in a big way. Mm. All right. Um, how about how much of an impact do you think Tyler Bertuzzi's absence is making in all of this? I mean, he is the one of the the one returner who I think, I mean, Robbie Fabry's actually doing pretty well. He's pretty much holding up what he did last year, but Bertuzzi's the one who's really holding up exactly where he had been, um, even a little bit higher in the in the goals per game regard. Um, seven points in nine games, five of them goals for him. How, how big of uh, of this problem is just 
you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. I think it's huge. If you're looking for the one guy that's been consistently better than where he was last season, it was Tyler Bertuzzi. I mean, using the same metric that we just talked about, Bertuzzi was at 0.74 expected goals for per 60 last season, and he's at 0.85 this season. So he improved on his performance, and you're kind of seeing that with his goal total. So missing him in the lineup right now is huge. You know, part of me does wonder if breaking up uh, Larkin, Mantha, and Bertuzzi uh, kind of partway through the season and now out of necessity not having uh, Bertuzzi in the lineup has really impacted each of them. I think, you know, I had previously considered Mantha capable of driving his own line. I think he's still playing well, you know, statistically. He still does look like one of the better Red Wings players out there, but it's just not the same pace that he was on last season. And I, you have to wonder that now with Fabry playing better, with Nemesnikov starting to find his game, with Zadina, you know, being able to contribute, drive play a little bit more, uh, and Bobby Ryan obviously being there, do you have enough behind those guys to really try and reunite that top line to give yourself some scoring punch uh, when Tyler Bertuzzi returns? I have to, you know, wonder if that's at the forefront of Jeff Blaschel's mind right now. It's been interesting too because when I look at Larkin's production, one thing that jumps out at me is uh, his on-ice shooting percentage is pretty low. And not coincidentally, he's playing with, I think, who you could argue are the two most snake-bitten Red Wings right now, and that's Philip Zadina and Matias Brome. Uh, his assists are way down also. I mean, he's a guy who usually you count on for more than half assist, half an assist per game. I think he was just below that last season, but um, trending, I think it was like 40, you know, 0.48% of an assist, or uh, 0.48 assists per game. Uh, and, and, and above 0.5, the two seasons before that, you know, he's at like a, just over a quarter of an assist per game right now. I almost wonder how big that's contributing is, you know, if, if a couple of these Zadina goals go in uh, or a, a couple of the Brome shots from the last, you know, four or five games since they've been playing together go in, you know, we might be talking about a very different situation with Dylan Larkin. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think people are kind of pointing to his point totals. I know I've gotten some questions about it. I still think the the... They are not generating the same number of chances that they need to, but there is also a component that some of the guys he's playing with are incredibly snake bit. I mean, Matias Brome has done just about every variation of a move to score a goal and somehow has not been able to record a single point on the season. And then Philip Zadina, I mean, watching him tee off on one-timers uh, from the power play on that right face-off dot uh, against Chicago. I mean, one of those had to go in. One of those usually sneaks by. I mean, he was getting... Great shots, great setups, great action before it. It's going to come, but I think at the end of the day for me, I don't know that simply reversing some of the bad luck is going to be enough to get this team winning more hockey games. I really do think there needs to be an increase in the organic quality of chances that they're generating, and you know they're going to have to decide, is are they limiting themselves by the system they're designing, or is this simply the players need to take it upon themselves within the system to do a better job of picking the chances to, to force the issue? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I do think Larkins is the one that's more likely to kind of resolve itself organically. Like if you just keep playing basically the same way, you know, Larkins actually getting um, more shots on goal per game this year than he than he did in previous seasons. Um, that's probably encouraging. And, and the shooting percentages would be the lowest of his career right now. That's something that you look to and you say, okay, like I pretty good feeling that that's going to correct for him. But I, I do think you're, you're onto something about the quality of chances. Um, and I think you, you add those things up, but you bring back Bertuzzi, he might solve half of it. 
and then uh, simple regression might solve the other half. Um, but you know, you, you can still put the emphasis on getting to those more dangerous areas the closer you get to the net. And that probably solves a lot of it. I do think he and Zadina have had a little bit of chemistry in terms of finding those chances. You've seen it off the give and go a couple times. And so um, we'll see how they choose to work that out. But I'm just as curious as you to see whether they go back to Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, or do they go, you know, Bertuzzi, Larkin, Zadina, and, you know, Mantha, you know, with Fabry and Ryan, or is it Fabry and Nemesnikov or something else? You know, I, I think there's some good balance to be found there. It's just going to have to be finding the combinations that work. Yeah, and, and that's going to be the biggest question for the Red Wings. I think at this point, everyone's just kind of hoping that Tyler Bertuzzi is coming back soon because he not only will he be the fix at 5-on-5, five five, he may be the fix on the power play as well. Yeah, not going to return this weekend from what it sounds like. Um, and so that is certainly uh, just, you know, a couple more games that the Red Wings will have to weather without him. I mean, he's not skating with the team yet, and that's kind of the the marker. Is if if once, once he does that, you know he's close within two, three days. So... That's what you're looking for here. Yep. Hopefully not too much longer, though. Anything else uh, on this before we go to the mailbag? It'll be a little bit shorter show last time. We, we, we ran a little long. <laughs> no, I mean, I think uh, one thing I'll just highlight that you had said earlier really is that the, the power play was a lot better yeah. against Chicago. I think, again, no, looked that way, just visually looks that way from the numbers. So, you know, maybe they are starting to find some of the fixes that are necessary. I mean, they were able to pump 13 shots in just five and a half minutes of power play time, which is in the right direction of what you need to do. Zadina seems to have maybe the best feel on the team on that flank for, for running it there. Hiroshi looked good doing the same thing on the opposite side, um, but Zadina is able to kind of do it all. He can be the shooter. He can be the passer. He can create a little bit of space for himself and, and work the puck back up to the point. He can work the puck down low. He's got the confidence to make those passes. Uh, and so I think that that's a key thing for them. I think uh, you know, he, he's, maybe kind of looking like your power play one guy in that spot to me. Yeah, I think he looked really good from the right faceoff dot. And really the other guy who I really liked was Bobby Ryan with the puck. Mm-hmm. I think he makes a lot of really smart decisions. Um, I honestly wouldn't mind seeing Philip Zadina on the right dot, Bobby Ryan on the left dot, uh, giving you that right and left shooting options. Uh, because I think the underrated part of Bobby Ryan's game is he gets his shot through on net almost all the time. And that's a quality that I don't think a lot of Red Wings players have. If you look at simply just power play shots taken, Bobby Ryan has not had a single shot blocked on the power play this year. Wow. He has gotten every single shot either through to the net or he has missed the net. But he's not had a shot blocked. He's the only Red Wing who can claim that. And so I think he's a guy that sets up really nicely on that left faceoff dot because he is so good with his hands. He is so good at finding those passing lanes. And if he is going to be a shooter, he's got a great shot and he gets it on that. Yeah, I imagine they'll keep tweaking. And, and that's certainly uh, that's a very good point to make um, in the mailbag. First one is from Peter Kletcher. He says, if the Kaiser doesn't play 17 more games this season, then the Red Wings would need to expose either Stetcher or Heronic in the expansion draft. If I'm understanding all the rules correctly. Uh, should Red Wings fans be worried that the Kaiser won't hit that? Or is there something else the Red Wings could do in that scenario? It's a very good question. Yeah, it's a good question. I think maybe you were hoping that DeKaiser would be able to be exposed. I mean, there are a lot of options available. You can do something similar to what teams did with Vegas, which is kind of prearranging a deal for them to take a specific player. Um, I don't think the Red Wings need to do that because DeKaiser really only has one year, and it's not like the Red Wings need the money next year. In fact, basically DeKaiser's cap hit is going to be offset by the fact that Zetterberg's contract is going to expire at the end of this season. 
and the wings won't have that 6 million sitting there anymore. So I don't think that there's anything they really need to do um, to, to, to force the issue there. I do think it's a concern though, because otherwise the only player who meets the criteria is Troy Stetcher. And you've been as loud a supporter of Troy Stetcher as anyone uh, and I agree that he's not someone the Red Wings should should, Red Wings should take every precaution to, to not lose him. So what are their options? You know, aside from arranging one of those deals, which seem to basically go poorly whenever you try, um, their best options would be to extend someone who someone else who meets the game's played threshold. So um, that could be Mark Stahl. I don't know that you necessarily want to do that. Um, but you could do it. Uh, you, it could be Patrick Nemeth. That could be Christian Juice in 13 more games. That could be John Merrill, although if you're re-signing him, I imagine it's because you want to keep him too. Uh, Dennis Chalowski could play 18 games and be eligible, assuming that you're going to get a contract done with him before the expansion draft. Alex Biega, four games to be eligible, uh, and then you'd obviously have to re-sign him. Uh, Gustav Lindstrom, 27 games. That seems like a pretty big long shot with only you know 38 games left in this season. Um, so those are basically your options. The ones who have stone cold met it, don't need to play wh- another game are Stahl, Nemeth, Stetcher, Merrill, and Hironic. Um, honestly, if I was updating my projection today for who, I, who to keep, it would honestly probably be assuming signings, Hironic, Stetcher, Merrill. Uh, and so maybe you're going to extend, I don't know, Christian juice, like as an RFA, I've liked what I've seen. He's the kind of guy that if you offer him another contract and he hits this threshold, you're you're going to be perfectly happy to still have him in the roster picture, but you're not going to be devastated if Seattle takes him. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. I think that's um I think that's that's reasonable. The other thing you could do is if you could wait to sign um uh, Merrill who's a UFA. Um and certainly I think that's probably what the smart thing to do is then you don't have to protect him. Um and then you can protect Heronic, Stetcher, and someone else. And that could be Chalovsky, that could be Lindstrom. Um, you know, based on how they've operated, I could kind of see that go either way. Um, and, but but you still have to find someone who you're comfortable exposing if you're going to protect Stetcher, because right now he is the only one who meets the criteria of being under contract for next season and having played either 27 games this season or 54 between this season and last. So... Um, that would be my kind of guess is it's probably involves extending juice by at least one year. Maybe it's, it's a, you know, one year, 1.3, $1.4 million contract. Uh, he becomes eligible. It doesn't mean that's the only person Seattle can pick. They could still pick Chalowski or Lindstrom, but Chalowski and Lindstrom currently don't qualify as the exposure requirement of, uh, the certain number of games played and being under contract for next year. Yeah. And, you know, I think the important thing here is all of this hypothetical is set up on the assumption that you go with the seven, three, one protection plan, right? Yes. What if you go, f- doesn't matter. You, you still have, skaters. you still have to expose a D either way. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah, understood that you have to expose a defenseman in that way, but I'm just saying like, I think you could get around it in that aspect where it's not one of those guys by making again, a small yeah, sign. You're, you're not crunched someone. by the number of D you can protect in the Red Wings case. Cause you're not yeah. that worried about losing them, but you, but it's just right now there is only one player who meets the minimum exposure and that's Stetcher. And he's probably one of the guys you want to protect. So that's kind of the conundrum. I think now, the other thing is DeKaiser needs 17 games. He's not injured right now. Like he's he's not 100%. Um, 
Um, but if the Red Wings need him, like he he could be in the lineup tomorrow. And so 17 games is not implausible from that regard. And in fact, if I'm Steve Eiserman, I'm kind of hoping that I can get that to happen uh, just because it gives me complete flexibility. But, you know, I think juice is probably the answer to, to Peter's main question of kind of how do you protect Stetcher, make sure you can protect Stetcher in this case. And, and probably honestly, you know, signing juice for one year, 1.4, 1.5 million or whatever, maybe, maybe his agent can, uh, can really, uh, you know, leverage the Red Wings position and, and get it up to 1.8 million or whatever, because they really need to have him under contract, whatever that may be. That's probably the lower cost option than packaging a pick or a prospect to get him to take someone else. Yeah, I guess maybe the moral of story for me is I'm not particularly worried about it because I don't see a scenario where Eiserman allows him to yeah. allows himself to lose Merrill or Stetcher for nothing. It's not dire. It's just one of those things that, that you actually have to do something to resolve. It's not going to fix itself right. you know, organically. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, Katie Lady wants to know about Nicholas Cromwell's impact on the prospects, uh, saying the Europeans seem to be responding well to him based on everything she's found. I don't know. It's kind of tough. And uh, maybe I'll defer more to you on your idea here. I, I, you know, not sure what all he's been able to do or where they have him kind of based right now this season. I'm not sure if you know if he's over in Sweden versus Grand Rapids like he had. Yes, been he is still in Sweden. Yep, he's still in yeah, Sweden. So, so that's really important. I mean, he it's. I can't speak to the specific like individual impacts Cromwell has made, although I, I have talked to Albert Johansson, who obviously talked about working with Cromwell and um, you know that the his comments on that are, are in one of my stories on the athletic. I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, you know, it's it's an advantage the Red Wings have. Number one is having a member of their player development staff in Sweden. I don't know how many teams that's really true of. Um and so a lot of teams obviously have prospects in Sweden, but um, normally, you know, in, including just until the last two years, Sean Horkoff would be the one who would go over there or Dan Cleary would be the one who would go over there. Uh, and until they had Cromwell in the in the front office, um, they just would would not have had someone there right now when, when, when the travel was limited. So uh, I do think it's a big deal to have someone at all on the ground there and even more so one of the standard bears of the position in the history of the franchise. I mean, you want somebody – uh, who is going to teach these guys what it means to be a Red Wing. How about a guy who probably honestly could have been captain when Henrik Zetterberg retired uh, had the Red Wings decided to name one? Like he, He's probably the no-doubt choice if they named one like the day after Zetterberg retired, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. A, that's a slam dunk there. Right, so um, a, a very good person to have over there, uh, especially when it comes to working with these young D, Johansson, William Wallander. I mean, I, I know that they're going to lean on Cromwell for Wallander's development and and would have even if they could get Horkoff over there like why wouldn't you want uh Nicholas Cromwell working with your big mobile left shot defenseman yeah I mean that's exactly who you want working with a guy like that especially the hockey IQ piece of things like in his defensive zone like Cromwell was just so so smart uh so I think he's absolutely the guy you want shaping your defenseman yeah all right. Uh, Tom Mitzos has one uh, <laughs> that was that was right up the alley that you just asked. Thoughts on using Bobby Ryan on the left half wall opposite Mantha on the power play. Seems like it'd be great to have two options for shots rather than trying to funnel everything through Mantha. 
like Tampa does with Kucherov and Stamkos. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I was just alluding to, you know, when you watch Bobby Ryan, he makes great decisions with the puck, gets a shot through. So if you put him on the left faceoff dot, you put Philip Zadina or Anthony Mantha on the right faceoff dot, and then you put either, you know, Mantha or Zadina, whichever one you don't put there, and put them in the slot, and now let Bobby Ryan kind of go to work from the left dot, you've got potentially a left shot up top in Juice, you've got a left shot in the slot in Zadina, You've got a left shot on the far side in Mantha, and then you've got your guy in front of the net, and Bobby Ryan's got the handedness to set it all up. I mean, that looks like a very good power play. You could even have Dylan Larkin down there um, at, at net front in, in a different role because he is so good at retrieving pucks and recovering pucks um, just with his quick first step. I mean, he wouldn't be a bad guy to have in that situation. Uh, so I think with those different aspects, I would love to see uh, Bobby Ryan having the puck on his stick a little bit more because he seems to he seems to have the most patience with it, especially on the power play. Yeah, and all that experience just benefits him more and more because he's seen and, and been on and um, you know a, a, a key part of many successful power plays in this league. Yeah. All right, David Barnhouse says, do you think Evgeny Sveshnikov still has a chance on this team? I want him to do well, even if it isn't here. I don't know. It's This one's the tough one. And we, I honestly feel like we've been asked this question for the last year. Um, and my answer, I think, is still consistent that I, I don't see it here. Um, my personal belief is his shot to transition to the NHL uh, was going to be in 2017, 2018, right after he had a, a great rookie year. Uh, in Grand Rapids where, you know, the guy put up 50 points in 70-some games, looked really, really sharp, looked good all over the ice. The fact that he wasn't able to come up and stick uh, and going back down, I think, has ultimately set him back. And then obviously having the missing a year with an injury and then struggling again with an injury in training camp. Uh, has just not allowed him to find the footing necessary to to stick with the team. So I don't see it happening here in Detroit. I think he's been bypassed by a lot of the great forwards the Wings have been able to draft in the last couple of years with Zadina and Raymond and, and Valeno and Berggren and such and such that uh, I don't see it working out here, but I am hopeful someone gives him a shot somewhere uh, so that he can maybe find his game. I think I agree with you. I, th- I think, uh, I mean, I talked about it a little bit on the last show, but it, it just doesn't seem like uh, this is trending in the right direction for him. And injuries have been part of that. And I think you are onto something about the, the speed of promotion. I know that's kind of a big topic for you is making sure you promote these guys at the first indication that they're ready for it and, and can handle it. I know the Red Wings have, you know, kind of sometimes different views on, on this stuff. Like sometimes they want to make sure that a guy truly dominates a level before they bring him up and, I think there's valid cases to be made for both of those uh, approaches. I mean, I think certainly there are players where you can say, look, the NHL is not a development league. And if you have major concerns in your game, why not take advantage of the next best league in the world um, by a lot of people's opinion um, and hone it there and then come up at age 21 instead of 20. I, I think that is there that is a perfectly reasonable view. But I also think there is something to be said for what um, I think is usually your perspective, which is, you know, the prime window of players is short anyway. Don't cost yourself a year on the front end of it just because you want to be 100% sure. And and you've even applied that to goalies of, you know, yes, don't draft them and don't draft them high, but uh, promote them because when they're good, you still want to get as many of their good years as possible. Like don't waste these years. 
And, you know, obviously Svechnikov's injuries are their own thing. And one of them happened in a preseason game. And it's not like he anyone could have said he's going to be suddenly guaranteed health had he come up sooner. Um, but maybe he does get more of a footing underneath him in the NHL and is able to take some strides earlier. This is all revisionist history. I have a hard time kind of placing heavy blame on anyone for the way this has gone for him, himself included. Um, but it just, you know, it does seem like uh, the the way this is headed is not to Svechnikov being a regular for the Red Wings. And, you know, I think I, like everyone else, would love to see him succeed somewhere, uh, especially if that could be with his brother in Carolina. They're very close. Yeah, yep, completely agree. All right, uh, last one we'll end on this. William Cox, is the Smith demotion somehow designed to circumvent exposing him for the expansion draft? Otherwise, I don't understand how he doesn't stick in this lineup. The first part of the question, the answer is no. It has no bearing on the expansion draft. He is eligible, period, and they will have to protect him if they want to protect him. Um, the second part of the question isn't really a question, but it's just he kind of wants to understand why it's happening. Um, I can just kind of take this one if you want. Like, you know, it's basically happening because he wasn't in the lineup. I mean, it's the, um, and certainly it's that's a decision that is not above being criticized. I mean, you can argue that Smith over the last three or four stretches he had with the Gordie out hat trick, he set up a, a beautiful uh, goal to Dylan Larkin in, in that stretch. Um, he was making a difference and, you know, I, I don't think he played perfect and he wasn't noticeable every time he was on the ice, but he was doing enough that uh, I certainly thought he seemed to be trending toward kind of taking that next step and being more of a regular. Now, Clearly the Red Wings didn't think so, or and they wanted him to get more ice time and more offensive situations where he can have the puck. That also certainly helps other players who are in Grand Rapids because, you know, Michael Rasmussen's trying to to develop as a center and, you know, you want him to have good wingers. And the guys who he was projected to start the season with, Taro Hirose and Giovanni Smith, were both on the Red Wings taxi squad when they sent Rasmussen down. So these things help the prospects too. Like it's all in service of development. Um, and so I, I think there's a good argument that Johnny Smith is probably one of the 12 uh, forwards who, who could be in the Red Wings lineup. But, you know, you, you get into territory pretty quick there where I know the the common refrain is why is anyone uh, getting sent down or, or scratched over Nielsen, Philpola, yada, yada, yada. Um, the fact is when the Red Wings are healthy, it's it's not like all those guys are over everybody. I mean, you, you look at it and you've got Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha. Uh, Fabry, Ryan Zadina, Nemesnikov, Gagne, who I think has been quite good this season. And I'm, you know, I, I know because he's 30, people don't <laughs> always want to see him in the lineup, but I, I think he's been pretty good, even though he hasn't scored. Uh, Brome, uh, and then you've got Glenn Denning, Ernie, and kind of one more spot. So that could be Smith. Uh, that could be Hiroshi. I would think both of those are warranted. I think Rasmussen made a pretty good case, but but clearly they want to develop him a little bit more at center. Um, you know, Philp, I think has kind of mostly had that spot, but Nielsen lately has been, and, and I know they like Nielsen as a penalty killer. So can I completely, uh, rationalize that choice for you? No, I cannot, but I can tell you best. I understand it's because they didn't want him just not playing. Like he's still a young player. And if he, if he was the 13th forward, they'd rather him go be the number one, two or three forward in Grand Rapids. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's tough. Like, I don't have an answer here. Like, sure. Do I want to see him more in the lineup? Absolutely. But, you know, I, at the end of the day, does he move the needle a whole lot here? No. Is he a guy that I'm expecting to have a rapid ascension in his development? No. 
I think what you see is what you're going to get with maybe a little bit more from, from Giovanni Smith. But that being said, you know, I, in a perfect world, yes, I certainly want to see him in, but I can't really explain why he's not there right now. Yeah. You know, I, I frankly think he's pretty comparable player to Adam Ernie, but Ernie's just more polished at doing it. Yeah, I think that's fair. And so maybe that's why. And, uh, but yeah, I don't think we've seen the last of Giovanni Smith this year either. Like I'm, pretty much planning on him being back at some point, whether it's after the trade deadline or, or before then. Like I, I fully expect to see Giovanni back in Detroit this season. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think you'll definitely see him there too. I mean, we, we still have got uh, a load of games left. I think what 39 games left, something like that. So yeah. uh, you'll, you'll definitely see Giovanni Smith again. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for the mailbag today. Anything else you want to talk about before we uh, send everybody off? Nope. That's everything. All right. Well, I see you've got your uh, North Carolina hoodie on today, so I'll give you a uh, go Tar Heels, and uh, and I'll talk to you again next week. 